This morning, I want to introduce Ben Palm to you. Many of you know Ben because he leads worship here quite often. Um, but I knew Ben uh, really since high school. And uh, back then he was only 6'9". And um, <laughs> he's just grown and matured in the Lord. And uh, he didn't really grow in stature much, thank- thankfully. Have you? Yeah. Since high school. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to just I want to just share. Ben's been a, a, a youth pastor up in Washington before, and um, God's just given Ben uh, a great ability to to teach God's word, and we're excited to kind of continue in our um, series in John. So, why don't you welcome Ben Palm with an applause? Thank you. Uh, like Dave said, my name is Ben Palm, and yes, I am six nine, um, and that is up and down, not side to side yet. Um, today you've got, uh, you've got an option. You've got two different sets of notes, so you can kind of take your pick. You know, I try to make this, you know, your, your choice, you know, take your pick of whichever sheet you want to fill out. Um, they both work fine. Um, I saw my dad taking a look at this drawing over here and trying to figure out what it was and stuff like that. Um, but as things go sometimes, uh, I am completely changing my title um, you can still use the notes that it says how to understand the impossible on top. You can still use those, just the title is different. Everything else is the same. Because um, I'm kind of trying to take this and strip it down into simplicity. Because I think there's an essence of simplicity as well as an essence of confusion in this passage. Um, so yes, we are, in a sense, going to understand the impossible. But more than anything, what I want you to walk away with today and what I'll come back to, is that this, this passage is all about enjoying Jesus. So take your pen and cross it out if you want, or put it in parentheses, or whatever you want to do, but uh, the new and revised title for this morning is Enjoy Jesus. Before we dive into this passage, we've got to remember why John is writing this. And uh, I see a lot of uh, college students from Valley, so you guys should know, because I know you just went through John recently, what is the, if you had to sum up John in one word, what would that word be? Anybody? Nobody? All right, NBC. One word. (laughs) Haven't heard it yet. That's okay. Those are all great words, by the way. Love and Jesus, those, those are good answers. Um, but if you look in uh, John twenty thirty one, it says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John is writing so that you may believe. And that's going to be a kind of key word that I want you to roll around in your head as we continue in this. And every time we, we dive into the Gospel of John, we've got to have that word in the back of our minds because that's why John wrote. And so everything that's in here ties into that main theme, that main idea of believing. So we're going to keep that coming, keep that coming. And um, last week, Darren left us with some questions. And I wrote down uh, a few questions that he left us with and um, just to kind of go back to where he was going and then tie it into today's message. He left us with three questions. Number one, do you need to give your heart back to Jesus? Number two, how do you express your love for Jesus? 
And number three, do your heart, your speech, and your actions show your love for Jesus? And these are things um, that I think uh, Nicodemus was wondering when he came to talk to Jesus. We're talking out of uh, John chapter 3 this morning, uh, verses 1 to 21. So if you do have a Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 3. And that's kind of where we're going to sit today. I want to focus on this passage. The PowerPoint is going to be super simple because I don't want you as focused up there as you are in here, in the Word. Because that's, that's where I want to be diving in today. So, so Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, and I think he's wrestling with some of these questions. Do, do your heart, your speech, your actions show your love for God? Do those things kind of pop out, or do they not? Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. In other words, he, he knew the Bible. Well, the Old Testament, that's what they had. Uh, he had spent many years studying it, but Jesus baffled him. He didn't understand Jesus, and that's why he came to talk to him. And uh, before we dive into the passage, I just wanted to take a look at what happens to Nicodemus later. Because at the end of our passage, it doesn't give an answer to what happens to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes and asks Jesus some questions, but it doesn't say at the end, and Nicodemus went away happy or went away sad. There's no resolution to it, as there are to a lot of other stories and a lot of other interactions that Jesus has with people. So I was looking at it going, what happens to Nicodemus? Well, if you want to write these uh, couple passages down, in John chapter 7, he's actually Jesus' advocate. A lot of the Pharisees, a lot of the Jewish ruling council are are wanting to arrest Jesus and uh, wanting to convict him. And he says, wait, don't we need to try him first? Aren't we supposed to try somebody before we convict them? He's fighting on Jesus' behalf. And then if you go even farther into John chapter 19, he's there helping Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus' body. He's there putting on oils. He's helping wrap the garments. He's helping lay Jesus in the tomb. This is a life that's changed. So sure, it doesn't say in John 3 what happens to Nicodemus, but we get to see later in the book, you know, he pops up again every now and then. You know, sometimes you watch those movies and there's those characters that you're like, what happened to them? And every now and then they'll pop up again and you'll go, oh, neat. You know, I like, I like seeing that resolution and I like seeing it with Nicodemus and seeing how his life was changed. He figured out what Jesus was talking about. And let's see how. So if you're taking notes, uh, we're going to talk about three things that I noticed about rebirth in this passage. And the first thing, um, and you can go ahead and click ahead, is that rebirth is hard to grasp. Rebirth is hard to grasp. How many of you are kind of bummed that the Olympics are over? I totally am. I was loving watching the Olympics. I especially loved watching Michael Phelps. How many of you watched that 100-meter butterfly like five or six times? They're like, what the heck? How did he get in there? I still can't figure it out. You know, they said, now we have extra photographic evidence to show. I saw some of it, and it still didn't make any sense to me. I still couldn't tell that he actually got there before the other guy. I mean, that guy was amazing. Just phenomenal. Phenomenal swimmer. Now, let's say you got the opportunity to sit down with Michael Phelps and have a conversation with him. Let's say, as you're talking to him, you ask, all right, Michael, 
what is the secret to being a great swimmer? What's the secret? Now, I know some of you may have watched that little, you know, thing about him and how his body is just perfect and shaped and all this kind of stuff. But Michael Phelps says to you, whoa, things are falling apart. Sorry. Um, thanks. He says, all right, so the secret to being a great swimmer is learning how to breathe underwater. You're like, what? <laughs> I know it might kind of make sense, but what? That doesn't make any sense at all. How am I supposed to breathe underwater? He says, trust me. If you learn how to breathe underwater, you're going to be a fantastic swimmer. I don't get it. Ben, where are you going with this? I promise, there's a point. This is what Nicodemus was thinking when he came to Jesus. Take a look at this passage and look what is said. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. He's coming to Jesus and saying, you've got it going on. You've got something that we don't. And I want to learn more. And here's what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, if you've been raised in the church, if you've been around Christians before, if you've grown up, you know, if you've been walking with God, that phrase does not sound familiar to you. Or it does sound familiar to you. You know, it's something you hear all the time. But if you're Nicodemus hearing this, you're going, what? Born again? I mean, that's what he asks. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. I don't get this. What is going on? He is absolutely confused and absolutely baffled. He finally comes and pursues someone that just amazes him, that boggles his mind. Wow, this guy's got it going on. And Jesus gives him this off-the-wall answer. He's got to be born again. So he inquires a little bit more. He dives in. He asks, how can a man be born when he is old? I don't get this, Jesus. And Jesus comes back. I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Got it? Yeah, me neither. Again, Nicodemus says, how can this be? He's not getting it. Jesus isn't making it easy for him. This is a challenge. So let's keep going a little bit more. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I start to speak of heavenly things? Okay, now we're starting to get somewhere. Jesus points out the simplicity of the gospel right there. He says, Nicodemus, this is, this is all there is. It's just believing. That's all there is. Lizzie, are you out there? Come on up here. I, I bugged Lizzie earlier this week. Um, on Facebook and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need your help this morning. She has no idea what's about to happen. Okay? This, is, this is faith right here. All right. 
Just stand right there. Everybody say hi, Lizzie. Hi, Lizzie. All right. I, I want you guys to catch how much this idea is important in this passage, this idea of believing. Okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 12 through 18. And every time you hear me say the word believe or some type of believing, believe, you know, believed, anything like that, just go like this. Okay? And each time you hear a new one, just hold up another finger. Okay? All right? Got it? So we're going to see this word pop out, this word believe, okay, starting in verse 12. I have spoken to you of earthly... Wait, do you need a practice round? I think I'm good. Okay. You sure? Okay, ready? Believe. Perfect. All right, she's good to go. Here we go. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe... Louder. If I speak to you of heavenly things, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That was six verses, seven times that word believe is there. Thank you, Lizzie. Give Lizzie a hand. Repetition is there to help something sink in. And so John is making a point here. He's saying... This is what it's about. You know, sure, he says it again in, in John chapter 20, but this is, if this is your first time through reading the book of John, you haven't gotten to John chapter 20 yet, so you don't necessarily know these are written that you may believe, but he's kind of driving it in already. This is what it's about. This is the simplicity of the gospel. Yes, I am saying that rebirth is hard to grasp, but I want you to understand that coming to Christ is not hard to grasp. What Jesus has to offer you is not hard to grasp. It is not hard to understand. It is not hard to come to Jesus. Can a new believer witness to others? Absolutely. Look, I may not have it all down, but I'll tell you what I know. You know, that's what Jesus is saying right here in these verses. He's saying, we testify to what we have seen. We're just talking about what we know. Later in the book of John, in uh, chapter 9, go ahead and flip forward. Um, I've got some verses here, and if you want to write them down, if you can read them, you're, you're more than welcome to write them down. These are just verses I'm going to be referencing as I go through. You, don't, you can flip to them if you want. You don't have to if you don't want to. Um, but in John chapter 9, uh, what's going on is, is Jesus heals this blind man. And um, the Pharisees are just like, Whoa, what's going on, you know? And they're calling Jesus this sinner because he did work on the Sabbath and he healed this blind guy. And, you know, how can this sinner have saved him? How can this sinner have healed this guy? And they come to him and they ask him this. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And here's what the blind guy says to the Pharisees. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. His life was changed. 
there was something that happened that was very tangible to him. He said, look, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know all the answers. But let me tell you what I do know. And this is what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But still, you don't accept our testimony. We're just talking about the basics here. I'm not asking for deep theological debates and stuff like that. I'm just talking to you about what we know. And he's saying that the the basic part of the gospel is just very simple. It's all about believing. That's it. It's easy. Coming to Jesus is easy. Although being reborn is simple, it is good that the concept of rebirth is hard to grasp. This is a good thing. Let me show you this here. Some of you have this. It is a piece of paper. How in-depth am I going to get with this piece of paper? You were a tree, and now you're with me. You're white. European descent? Scandinavian? I don't know. Help me out here. There's not a lot to get into with this piece of paper. If that's all the depth that there was to God, that would be a problem. Right? All right, you know, God's God, I'm not. That's all there is to it. Life as a Christian would be kind of boring, don't you think? Look at what we would miss out on. Job 11, 7 to 8. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths of the grave. What can you know? Romans 11, 33 to 34. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the kind of God that I want to get to know. This is the kind of God that I want to invest my life in. And it requires that. This is not a quick deal. I figured out pretty much everything about that paper like that. But to figure out everything about God? There's a reason we have eternity in heaven so that we can finally start to figure out more of who He is. And I think it's going to take me an eternity to figure out because there's so much to God. Sure, we can invest a lifetime into Him and I don't think we'll even begin to scratch the surface of who God is because there's so much depth. Yes, rebirth is hard to grasp and I am glad. I am glad that I get to dive in deeper and deeper and deeper into who God is. I like that he didn't give Nicodemus easy answers. He challenged him. 
He's trying to challenge us as well. There's more to me. Come and find it. So rebirth is hard to grasp. Rebirth is also focused on Jesus. Rebirth is focused on Jesus. Look at John 3.14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus knew what he was talking about. Nicodemus knew what he was talking about. So I'm going to help catch you guys up to make sure that you know what they're talking about. In Numbers, chapter 21, um, what's going on there is... um, I've got to read this to you because the Israelites are just... Sometimes they're just boneheads. They really are. I've I, I got to be honest. Um, so here they are, marching through the desert. They had traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Now let's remember, God had given them miraculous food. He had provided them manna that fell from heaven. How many of you get food that falls from the sky? Not me. All they had to do was go outside and pick it up. And now they're griping. I don't like this. This isn't good. I'm sick of manna burgers and manna pancakes and manna everything. I'm tired of this. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. I'm sorry I'm laughing, but I just love God's sense of humor. All right, you want to complain? Here, here's some new meat. Have some snakes. (laughs) (laughs) Then the people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. You think? Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. So Jesus is talking about this shift of focus. He's talking about this instance where people had to shift their focus from their sorry, whiny selves onto this bronze snake. And that's where they found this healing. And Jesus is saying, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert so that it would be focused on, so must the Son of Man be lifted up and focused on, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. He's saying, shift the focus off of yourself and on to me. This is radical thinking for an American. We're focused on me, me, me. Look out for number one. Go out and get more for yourself. It is all about you in America. And Jesus is encouraging Nicodemus to pull that focus away from him and shift it to Jesus. You've got to focus on me. Take a look at some of the people in the Bible that had a right focus and what happened to them. Noah was the only one focused on God and thus was the only one that survived the flood. Abraham was focused on God. Lord said, Abraham, I'm taking you to a new place. All right, God, where am I going? Well, you'll see. And Abraham said, okay, I'm following you. And followed him step after step. 
Joshua was focused on God and was able to lead the people into the promised land. David was focused on God when he stepped out against Goliath, against all odds, someone he, there was no way he should have conquered. And he was focused on God. Daniel was focused on God when he was praying, even against the laws, and God took care of him. Peter was focused on God when he stepped out of the boat onto the water. Paul was focused on God as he endured shipwrecks, beatings, jail. These people had a right focus. The author of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is saying, hey, this is where the focus needs to be, on me. Not on you. Not on what else is going on. On me. Look at some people that had a wrong focus. Saul. Saul was focused on himself. He whined because David was getting praised instead of him. Well, who cares? The focus is supposed to be on God anyways, not on you or David or anything else. And because he focused on himself, God took away his kingdom. Jonah. Jonah was a whiner. He griped. He complained. He focused on himself. Judas. Judas Iscariot was focused on himself. And look at what happened to him. Jesus is saying, pull the focus on me. You want rebirth? You want a new life? Focus on Jesus. Look at these next few verses, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There is a focus here and it is on Jesus. It is not on you. It is not on me. It is not on Nicodemus. It is on Jesus. This new life needs to be focused on him. And then we keep going into 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what he has done and has been done, has been done through God. Now John, in writing this, is making a reference back to chapter 1. In chapter 1, John is talking a lot about light. And here again, he's bringing up that topic of light. He's not talking about light like light coming from a lamp or from the sun or anything like that. He's talking about Jesus. In uh, John 1, it says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, 
so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. John's talking about Jesus. And so let's look at this passage again in John 19. And I'm going to swap out the word light and replace it with the word Jesus. This is the verdict. Jesus has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of Jesus because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates Jesus and will not come to Jesus for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes to Jesus so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Don't you see? It is all about Jesus. Jesus let Nicodemus know in a very humble sort of way, hey, you know what? It's all about me. And that's what you need to learn. That's what you need to walk away with. Those that are loving the darkness are loving themselves. Their new life will only begin when they shift this thinking away from themselves and back to Jesus. Rebirth is focused on Jesus. So rebirth is hard to grasp. Rebirth is focused on Jesus. And here's the last thing I want to leave you guys with. Is that rebirth is for your benefit. Why did Jesus do this? He did this for you. I got in my passage probably the best known verse in the Bible. John 3.16. Let's take a careful look at it. For God so loved the world. Let's just stop right there and think about that. God loved the world. God loved you. God loved me. I don't know why. Because I definitely don't deserve it. He is nuts about us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his best for our benefit. Not his benefit. Our benefit. That just doesn't happen. There's this TV show I was watching a little while back, and um, two, two of the people on the show were arguing back and forth as to whether there is no such thing as a truly selfless deed. One of them was arguing that people are just so selfish that there, there is no such thing as a selfless deed, that everything you do is for yourself. I'm not necessarily agreeing, so we're not going to get into that debate right now. Um, I'm just saying that we as humans by nature, are selfish. This is why we need our focus switched to Jesus. And the best example of this selfless love is God himself. This is what I want you to walk away with. Enjoying Jesus. This is for your benefit. God came down for you. God gave you a new life. And yes, this passage does talk about eternal life. And yes, that is a benefit. I think, though, that the bigger benefit is having a God that loves us.
Sure, heaven is good. But I don't want you to miss out on the good that God has for you right now just because you're looking forward to streets of gold. I was once asked this question. If there were no heaven or hell, would you still be a Christian? Would you still follow after Jesus? This was a question I I wrestled with for a while. But now I'm very confident in saying, absolutely. This rebirth, this new life, should not just be a one-way ticket to heaven. Sweet, I got my ticket in my back pocket. Now I'm just going to go off and do whatever. Thanks, God. That's all you're good for. No! God is there for so much more than just this. God has given us an opportunity to be with Him. To spend time with Him. Why miss out on that? If you're writing notes on uh, the paper with the wrong title, down at the bottom it says, So what? And uh, I like to conclude my talks with this phrase. There's a couple of you that I had in junior high, and you know why. Um, So what? I'm not trying to be rude or whatever, or snobbish or whatever. I'm trying to, to, to give you something to walk away with. You know, you come to church, a lot of you on a weekly basis, you're sitting here, you listen to messages, so what? How does it change you? How do you walk out of those doors closer to God? How do you walk out of those doors different? Or do you? And that's what so what is. And so I want to give you something to walk out with. And what I want to give you is the title. Enjoy Jesus. He's so good. Take this week. Some of you are starting school. Some of you have already started school. Some of you have got work going on. Whatever it is, take some extra time this week and just soak him up. He is so good. He is so amazing. I was recently rereading an old blog I wrote. Let me read it to you. My buddy was telling me how sometimes he goes and reads the words to hymns for his quiet times. I read this one today, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I hope you find power in these words. Go ahead and click to the next slide. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. 
Blessed Savior, thou hast promised thou will all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to thee in earnest prayer. Soon in glory, bright unclouded there, will be no need for prayer. Rapture, praise, and endless worship will be our sweet portion there. Enjoy Jesus. As the band comes up, I want to leave you with this final thought to just soak him up. God's nuts about you. He's excited about you. Are you excited about him? Are you nuts about him? Are you loving him? I sure hope so. There's so much good to God. There's a simplicity of the gospel. And yet there's a depth to it. To dive in to the goodness of Jesus. To how amazing he is. To how wonderful he is. The band's going to end with this song called This Is Our God. And it talks about different attributes of who God is. So just focus on these words and just enjoy Jesus as this song plays.